I like what we're going to talk about today. It's kind of cool. So, um, hey, that's one of those great understatements, isn't it? You're talking about God's word. It's kind of cool. It's like when we say God is good. That's one of those things that always seems strange to me. When we say God is good, people say, oh, God is good. The Lord is good. Like good is such an understatement. You know, it's not a weird thing to say. Um, but, you know, the God Bible says that. So we'll stick with it. But, you know, it is sometimes we have these great understatements. Uh, when my oldest daughter was born, she uh, had some birth defects, uh, one of which was that her esophagus was not attached to her stomach. And she had a hole between her esophagus and her trachea. And so when she was two days old at three pounds, six ounces or less, um, unable to eat because there's no way for anything to go down and not get stopped, she went into surgery and the surgeon um, went in from her back, cut beneath her um her shoulder blade and opened her up, went in and lifted up her stomach and attached it to her esophagus, closed the hole between the trachea and the esophagus and sewed her back up and came and told me everything went well. And I remember saying to him, thank you. And then I stopped and I'm like, that, that's probably the most ridiculous thing I could possibly say to you. You know, you just opened up my tiny baby and put parts back that were in the wrong place. And I just said, thank you. Like I would to the guy who gave me French fries with my burger, you know? And so anyway, sometimes I think that our descriptions of God are such great understatements, the greatest of understatements. God is good being one of them. So anyway, welcome to the Run of the Mills podcast. My name is Mike, and I am your podcasting guy today. And we are Roman through Romans. We're in Romans chapter 15. And I think today we're going to try to look at a little section here um, that I think is really fun because it's Romans chapter 8, and it goes on probably down to, um, eh, well, probably 12 is probably where we'll stop. But again, remember Paul's writing to uh, Roman Christians, Christians in Rome. Um, he doesn't know most of them. I think we can judge from uh, some things that are said in the next chapter that he does He does at least know of a few of them. Um, but it also seems that, you know, perhaps many of them, if not the majority of them, are Gentile believers. And so it'd be a very easy thing uh, to do as you start to study Hebrew scriptures to think like, well, this this is not my savior. This is the Jewish savior. You know, and that's what the Jews thought. You know, this is this is the Jewish savior. He's the one who's come to set us free from Rome, you know, at the time. And so I think this is kind of fun because um, Paul takes some time here to, to point out some things about Gentiles. And so let's just read this. He says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So that's kind of a wordy way of talking, but you know, sometimes Paul says things in strange ways, and sometimes this, the translations are just kind of awkward as well. But he says, now I say that Jesus Christ, so he's talking about Jesus Christ, he became a servant to the circumcision, right? A servant to the Jewish race for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the Father. So he's pointing out that Jesus came to fulfill the promises made by God in what we would call the Old Testament. The, the promises God made of the coming Messiah, of the Savior that God made 
were pretty much well from the beginning, right? Because he made promises to Adam and Eve on on through about this coming savior. And so he doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't say to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And now we've said this all along. Paul does this thing where when he says something that he uh, assumes will be controversial, I believe, or that he thinks might make you cock your head sideways and go, what? Wait, huh? He always supports it with scripture, right? And this is the same Paul who said in Thessalonians, you know, test all things, hold on to what is good, avoid even the appearance of evil. But when he says test all things, you know, what's the standard that we test things by? And, and I've talked about this way back, probably in our, our first 10 episodes or so, that the Paul standard of testing things is the, what we would call again the Old Testament. Those were those things that were accepted as the word of God by the people at the time. And so Paul's not just saying, hey, believe this because I'm telling you. He's saying, here is the evidence to support my argument. And the evidence he's using isn't um, saying, hey, look at, look at, you know, look out at the stars or, you know, look at this or look at that. He's saying, look at what God's word says. And so when he says, that Jesus Christ became a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. He adds the and, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And so he goes on to quote some Old Testament passages. He says, and he quotes from 2 Samuel 22 and from Psalm 18. He says, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. And so what a beautiful thing and what a great thing that, that Paul is doing again, that he's pointing out, look, this is not new. It's not new that he would be the savior of, of the Jews and the Gentiles. This is what he said all along. Remember God's promise to Abraham. He says, you know, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed through your offspring, you know, and that's a, a trend that when you recognize it and you read the when you read the Old Testament, you'll see this, that God's intention wasn't just to save Israel, but that Israel be an example to the world and that through them, the world would see God, that he would be revealed to the world through them. And that, you know, through through uh, the Jewish people came the savior of all mankind. And that's not a new thing. It's not a new sect that Paul was making up, which of course was, you know, one of those many of the accusations made at the time that Paul was making up this new religion. And there are people even today that will say that they'll say, Oh, you're a Pauline Christian. You know, you're one of those people that you're a follower of Paul's teachings. Well, Paul was being very careful at the time, not to be saying, these are just my teachings, but he's saying, these are the teachings and they are consistent with what the Old Testament 
was telling you. It's consistent. It's not a new thing that the Gentiles would be saved, even though it may not have been taught at the time, even though it may not have been popular to think of at the time, even though the Jews may have denied it at the time, they can't deny their own scripture and the ones that he quotes. Read God's word carefully so we don't fall for the same mistake and miss out on things like the Jewish people were missing out at at the time. You know, they missed the coming of Jesus and they were missing the Gentile church. And yet it's there. It's there in the Old Testament. Um, concealed and in the New Testament revealed. But here they are. Here they are that God had these promises made and yet they were overlooked. So let's be careful not to make that same mistake and overlook God's word. Let's stay in it. Keep studying it. Keep reading it. Keep meditating on it. Keep talking about it. Keep it in the front of your mind and on hand. God bless you. Talk to you next time.